I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model, and the home of William Hills Max Meyer for all your gambling news. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. We have an awesome show today. We have a great guest and somebody that uh, not only is an expert in the Pac-12, but also an expert in uh, college football in general. So we thought it'd be a great time to bring on somebody that not only is well-versed in the Pac-12, but kind of give a perspective of where the conference stands in relation to the rest of the college football field as we go, as we hurdle towards what we hope will be a full season. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, any podcast catcher. We're there. We record weekly covering the Pac-12, doing real deep dives into each team. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've been previewing each team's offense and coaching uh, prospects and how the different coaches will impact the schemes of each Pac-12 team. And then we're going to continue doing our previews of the defensive side of the ball. And then in a about, uh, gosh, like the season's coming up pretty quickly, hopefully. Um, we're going to do our deep dives into each team. So stay tuned. You can also follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. And you can, um, uh, if you like the podcast, definitely stick around. We definitely appreciate your feedback. And um, of course, we're always open to answering questions. Our guest today is uh, Brett Ciancia out of Pick Six Previews. And Brett has put together, and we've purchased the preview, it's 161 pages, a full breakdown of every Power 5 conference uh, team. There's great graphics, wonderful statistics, and we're really excited to have him on the podcast. Brett, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, it's good to finally be uh, talking football again after, you know, hunkering down for the last five months, building up this 2020 preview book. Uh, it's talking season now. I'm excited to get going here. And, uh, and yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, no, it's, it's a pleasure's all ours. And you've done so much research on all these teams. And before the podcast, you were talking about how this is a one-man band. I mean, this is literally you taking that deep dive into each team, breaking them down, looking at the units, looking at the coaching, looking at the history of these programs. And so I, I like the fact that you really know the Pac-12 and how it sits with the rest of the conference. You know, as you're going through all these teams, was there any, any trends or anything that stood out for you most about the Pac-12 in relation to the other Power 5 conferences? Yeah, well, kind of hit on it there. It's a one-man show. Uh, it's all 65 Power 5 teams. And uh, what goes into this book is, is uh, over 1,000 hours total combined of film study, of calls with coaches, calls with coordinators, uh, listening to local radio, local podcasts to really dig into the details, uh, you know, practice notes, game stories, the whole bit. Usually spring games, too, but the spring games obviously got wiped out. Um, but... Um, yeah, so it's pretty exhaustive. It's pretty, um, you know, super detailed. I, I try and dig in. Like I said, uh, some national guys like to keep it general and just talk about the Clemsons and the Alabamas. But 
I actually find it more in, uh, more interesting and more intriguing to dig into these smaller programs and, um, you know, teams under the radar finding gems. Um, last year, Utah was kind of, um, you know, consensus number 15 or number 20 nationally. I've actually put them in my playoff coming out of the Pac-12. And, um, you know, until uh, th- that final Friday night there, they were looking uh, like the dark horse that was going to finally break through. So, um, so yeah, talking about the Pac-12, um, so – I'll just give it away right here. I'm an East Coaster, so um, you know everyone else in my in my uh, in my region, they all go to bed. I'm one of the weirdos that's up till three in the morning watching all these games. I love watching the Pac-12 Network games, um, you know. So it's almost like I found myself a little gem here, this Pac-12 football that no one out here talks about. So I love the conference. Uh, you have 12 distinct brands, and and uh, you know, and and just like with college football, well, with NFL, you have 32 programs that all look the same except for the uniforms. In college football and specifically the Pac-12, you have a million different ways to, you know, to run an offense, to run a defense, different strategies with recruiting and branding. I find it fascinating. So the Pac-12, I'm I'm a big fan of and I'm excited to talk about it today. Yeah. And before we do that, can you give us a little bit more um, detail into, again, we we have the, the preview right here. We've all we've all gone through it. But for our listeners that haven't purchased it yet. What what kind of work goes into it? What makes it different than the other previews that you can see on like the newsstands and stuff? I'm a fan of some I, others. I can take them or leave them. Um, what what makes yours stand out? Yeah, I think a few things. Um, I like to touch a little bit more on coaching schemes, X's and O's a bit, because uh, like I said just then, I think it's fascinating how every program can find a different way to design an offense and to win games. So I touch a little bit more on the the background schemes, and that comes through uh, talking to coordinators and talking to coaches. Uh, learning about their strategies, I think is fascinating. Uh, recruiting strategy, location-wise, I have a lot of that in there, especially on the West Coast. Um, you know, program histories I like to dig into because you know, winning nine games at Bama compared to winning nine games at Oregon State are completely different. You got to look at the program context. Um, I, I like to strike a balance between my analytics and numbers, but then also uh, you know, telling the story and painting the picture of the program. So while I have the heavy-duty analytics there in the graphics. I also put it into readable form um, because, you know, there's, there's another, some prominent magazines out there, you know, they, they fill the space with a lot of little acronyms and uh, metrics that no one knows what they mean, but I try and put it into, you know, terms that any football guy would appreciate. So I think I strike you know, strike a nice balance there. So Brett, uh, obviously there's, there were a bunch of new additions this off season, the PAC 12, whether coaches or impact freshmen, uh, which of those guys do you think is going to make the biggest uh, impact in year one? Well, probably the, the top recruit coming into the year uh, would be Savelle Smalls, uh, the five-star uh, big-time D lineman uh, that, that Washington was able to secure in Seattle there. Um, yeah, I mean, talking about coaching changes, there, there's actually a decent bit of stability there. Um, even the one big coaching change was uh, at Washington to bring in, uh, you know, Jimmy Lake is now taking over full-time. So at least we know half of their team is going to be sound. That defense is going to be the same Lake Kwiatkowski defense. Um, I think possibly the biggest addition, and it's not even a head coach or nor is it a player, uh, would be Joe Moorhead, Oregon's offensive coordinator. I think that was the coordinator hire of the, of the cycle. Um, you know, it was funny. I was on a uh, ESPN Mississippi show, and I was kind of touting Oregon's hire of Moorhead. And, uh, and <laughs> they don't like him down there as a head coach, obviously, after what happened. Um, it was below their standards. But I try to tell them, uh, not as a head coach, but as a coordinator, he's, fa- he's fascinating. He's fabulous. So. Um, I think he'll do great things unlocking some of that talent on the outside. They've recruited well there uh, and opening up this offense. So 
I'd say Joe Moorhead is the uh, the addition, the newcomer to the conference. Con- I would contrast that a little bit, I think, with the uh, because I, I I think when we look at uh, the North in particular, at least in in Beta Ranks projections, Oregon comes in with a defense projected at number two. Washington actually comes in in the projection model at number four. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I, I, I think Oregon uh, is the class of, of the North with the Moorhead hire versus hiring Josh Donovan, which I, was a surprise, I think, for, for Jimmy Lake in Washington. Yeah, it's pretty ironic, too, looking at those two coordinators back-to-back because they were back-to-back at Penn State. Uh, you know, John Donovan, he, yes, he did inherit a tough situation there when Penn State was coming off their sanctions. They had uh, scholarship productions. Uh, the line was really young and, and uh, a lot of walk-ons. But anyway, he struggled there. The next year, Joe Moorhead takes over for Donovan and accelerates them into the Big Ten title game. They actually win the conference and play in the Rose Bowl. And uh, it was that you know, high-flying offense with Trace McSorley, uh, those tall receivers, Gasecki at tight end. So, you know, just night and day. And uh, it, what a difference a year makes between the two guys. Now, juxtapose that together now in the Pac-12 North, the two rival schools, it, it's really fascinating. Um, I agree with you. Both defenses will be really strong. Oregon especially, I, I have a little notch above Washington defensively. Uh, already a top-five unit last year. They bring back 10 of 11 starters. And for that one opening spot, it's two five-star linebackers battling for that one vacancy. So, I mean, they're filling their gaps with five-star raw talent. Uh, it's going to be something to watch on defense there. When we take a look at Washington, yeah, I'm looking at your standings here, and we won't give away some of the other stuff here. <laughs> but um, you do have – Oregon first, and that makes a lot of sense. And then it's in the north, it's Washington, Cal, and Stanford. Um, I'm curious what you think about the the teams below uh, the top two, which and I think it's the top tier, which would be Oregon and Washington. But that Cal team and that Stanford team, do you think there's any situation where those any of those teams are going to be able to jump up and grab that number two spot? Uh, you know, which which team in, in the mid tier there in the north has the best upside? Well, yeah, I, I think that there's a clear top two. I think there's definitely a divide uh, in both in talent level. I mean, I love the defensive coaching that you have at Oregon and uh, in Washington. It's not to say that Cal's defense, uh, you know, isn't strong. I think they've built a great staff defensively. You can tell it's a defense-first program, and, and even their offensive hire they made and their offensive style this year is going to be, I try, I'm trying to call it kind of the Iowa of the Pac-12, where it's going to be ball control, slow pace. They want to win that field position game. Uh, and really complement their defense, which they recruit to, and and is the strength. I mean, they want to. They just want to suffocate teams and and win on a last, you know, a last minute drive, or you know, they want to win games 10-3, that kind of thing. And and to their credit, they pulled off some last year when Chase Garbers was healthy. They get him back. They get 11 starters. The entire offense is back, um, despite the coaching change, coordinator change, uh, and at a defense, yeah, they have to replace three NFLers for the first time under Wilcox. Uh, but I think it's strong enough. They're, they're definitely a middle-tier team. Um, and then speaking about uh, Stanford a bit here, yeah, this isn't the, the Stanford of old. This isn't the you know 2010 and uh, those, those Christian McCaffrey teams and even a little bit of the Bryce Love teams. Um, you know, they took a hit last year in the trenches. More so defensive line I'm really worried about. Uh, they had a couple starters transfer out, which is unprecedented. Um, so defensive line is going to be young and have, has been a, a weakness for a few years. I actually think the offensive line bounces back. They do have a long track record there. Uh, they had a few big injuries last year, and everyone's healthy. Um, guys like Walker Little, Foster Sorrell, Bronson Braggs. Uh, these guys are you know, former blue chippers, were injured last year. They had to play a lot of freshmen. Uh, but look for all that star power to come back, and then all that 
you know, ahead of schedule reps. Those freshmen are now sophomores and experienced returning starters. So I think Stanford finds its way on the offensive line again, which is, you know, hasn't been there in a few years. I think that bounces back. It's just a matter of if this defense can cobble together a front seven because uh, that's quietly been an issue now since Solomon Thomas left about three years ago. So, Brett, I'm excited to have you on the podcast just because you're definitely a different point of view. And one hill that this podcast has died on, well, I shouldn't say that we've really died on it, but we are lower on Arizona State and Jaden Daniels than we feel the collective rest of the country is. And I noticed that uh, in your quarterback rankings overall in the country, you have Arizona State seventh. So I just wanted to hear what you see in Jaden Daniels and why you have and why you have the ASU quarterback room ranked so high. Yeah, when I do my unit rankings, uh, other position groups like say that you know, the line and the receivers and the D backs, uh, you get four or five guys to pick from. I look for a bigger room there. With the quarterback rankings, I mean, for the most part, you're just going to see one guy, and that's you know, so that's not to, to rate the backups or their the young guys. It's really uh, a take on Jaden Daniels. I am a fan. Um, so I guess we agree and disagree at the same time. I'm low on Arizona State's trajectory this year as a team in the win-loss column, uh, but high, very high on Jaden Daniels. Uh, I think he's super efficient with the ball. Uh, and you got to remember, he was a true, uh, true freshman last year. Um, this didn't start during the season. This started in last year's spring where uh, he actually didn't throw a pick in all 15 of the practices until the final snap of the spring game. That was one of those stats there. And, and that translated onto the field in the fall. He was really safe with the ball. Uh, but really just really clutch beyond his years. I know that that term gets used a lot, but when you look at what he did on late fourth quarter drives um, against Oregon State and Washington State, uh, you know, he, he single-handedly led them down. And then obviously the national stage against Oregon, uh, you know, pulling off the couple bombs there, one to Brandon Ayuk. Uh, I think that he is the total package as a, as a quarterback. Now the issue I have with Arizona State overall uh, outside of Daniels is they were finally starting to build some – you know, roster continuity and starting to, you know, get, become veteran and less of a transition program. But then Herm uh, switches both coordinators up. So now you're moving from the outlier 3-3-5 defense, Danny Gonzalez has gone, uh, to a more NFL style. And I say NFL because it's, uh, I think it's Pierce and Marvin Lewis, two former NFL guys taking over at D coordinator. So you're switching the, the system up. Uh, and then offensively, same deal. They, they had a spread system going, um, you know, sideline to sideline deal. Uh, now they bring in a former Boise State uh, coordinator, Zach Hill. And if you've watched Boise State the last 20 years there, they want to just uh, smash mouth you and, uh, you know, line up in between the tackles. Not to say it's a bad thing, but it'll be a transition type thing. So uh, without a spring and losing, switching to uh, both sides of the ball coordinator-wise uh, could present some issues. And I, I have a question on – because I, I think on if we look right below – on the on the Pac-12 standings below Arizona State, what 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 gives you faith in Colorado, say over UCLA or Arizona? Because they 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 do have the late coaching change. Um, they actually lose quite a bit of, of talent off of that team last year, and they they were really bad offensively with some with some guys. I mean, Montez was a good college quarterback. Um, you know, you have Lavisca Chenault, Nixon. You know, they had some guys. Um, not all of those guys are back. Yeah, so I think when you look at the Pac-12 South, it's really two divisions within the division. A clear yeah. top three, a major drop-off. So um, for the listeners, I have Arizona State uh, third, but 29th overall in the country. And then we drop all the way down to 53rd Colorado, uh, but just moving from third to fourth. So so definitely um, you know, two tiers of this division. 
the race for fourth place really came down, obviously, to Colorado and UCLA. Um, I guess it's more I got worse feel, uh, you know, worse um, take and and uh, and stats from UCLA than I did Colorado. So with Colorado, yeah, it's a late coaching change. What I do like is that they retain both coordinators. So you have that you have that core of the of the program still there. Uh, I know Carl Durrell takes over uh, at the head spot, but you you retain Darren Shiravini. Uh, he's going to be calling plays back in his role. He was here um, calling plays two years ago. Uh, he knows the roster. He knows these guys and, and helps kind of keep the recruiting together too, uh, despite the change. But there are some potential pieces to, you know, some potential star power. Uh, you mentioned Katie Nixon. He's back. He'll be the feature, um, the feature receiver now without Chenault. Alex Fontenot, I think he's the leading returning rusher, ironically, uh, in the conference, maybe besides CJ Verdell. So you have, uh, you know, your, your running back, your receiver, even Russell at tight end. Uh, you know, Sherman's a multi-year lineman. They have a couple multi-year starters at line. Just got to find a quarterback on offense. Now, defensively, um, you know, they're they're okay. I mean, it, it wasn't something to write home about last year. They return a decent amount. What I do like is that my percentile showed the second half of the year they had a, a definite improvement statistically. First half of the year, their percentile, they were down just 3% percentile, so almost nation worst. Second half of the season, so those last six games, it's not great, but they bumped it up from three to 33 percent uh, percentile. So, you know, trying to look at trends in the season, I think they're going to develop their own defense. And uh, and really just, uh, it's not even that big a compliment. It's just that I think that they're a, a, a hair better than UCLA and Arizona, which are going to be some of the nation's worst Power 5 programs. Yeah, we might agree to disagree on that one. Um, I just I wasn't a big fan of Chiaverini as a play caller. Um, you know, it'll be interesting because it seems like they they might go way run heavy. So I like what you're talking about with the running back there, um, and it'll be interesting to see what their offensive line is with their offensive line coach uh, bouncing to. They paid him a million dollars at Michigan State. That's a heck of a raise, and I think he deserved it based on the run blocking from Colorado last year. Some of the numbers you mentioned that they kind of went on a, a, a bit of a jump in the last end of the season. I think that's because they realized, oh, we should probably run the ball a little bit more. We're pretty good at that. <laughs> and I do like their running backs there, but it'll be interesting to see if they can put um, a team together around that running game. They might even do some two tight end sets, which, you know, I'm pumping my, my chest right now. I really appreciate any team that rocks the two tight ends. Um, but I had, I had a question for you about uh, the Pac-12 in general and how it ranks among um, a lot of the other conferences. One of the things that I really like about um, uh, previews that cover the entire um, scope of college football is that we we are so in-depth here in our conference and which teams and which coaching staffs and the schemes and all that stuff. Um, that and, and Max covers this a little bit more at the national level, and Rob's starting to do it. Um, but I know that you are just kind of marinated in all of the different conferences. How does the Pac-12 in general rank among the other Power 5 conferences? I know you have Oregon as one of your top teams, um, but after Oregon and, and going on the way down, where would you rank the Pac-12, and what would put your rankings, like what, what would be the, the thought process behind what that ranking is? Yeah, it's interesting with the Pac-12. I think, um, and this is so much of college football in general, a lot of it is perception, really. Um, and then you see that with recruiting. You see this with the TV games. Um, it's kind of a shame because I think a lot of the East Coast viewers um, call it you know, time change or just kind of laziness or maybe football fatigue. If you go to the first 12 hours, you're going to – I don't know. So whatever the reason, Pac-12 is not getting enough eyeballs and people aren't appreciating the strength of this conference. Um, I think another thing that stands out about the Pac-12 – is I think it's a strong conference. I do. Um, they don't have that um, that dynasty program that, say, in Oklahoma that wins every year or a Clemson that wins every year. 
or even in Ohio State. Um, now, to me, as a football guy, I, I like the parody. I like that, you know, this is a, you know, one through 12, a tough league. But to the average viewer and just the average sports guy, they see that the Pac-12 is not being represented in the playoff. And then they correlate that to, oh, it must be like a second tier league. But it's quite the contrary because you guys are beating each other up every week. I do think the nine game compared to eight game hurts. Um, you know, some might say you know, it's for TV or whatever reason. Um, that extra crossover game sometimes is the difference between making the playoff or not. Uh, take Oregon, for example, last year. If they uh, maybe had an eight game slate and, and avoided Arizona State in the crossover, then you're a 12 and one conference champ and they're in the playoff. Uh, instead, they had that fourth crossover game, and it's hard to go nine straight conference games in any conference, let alone this one. And uh, Arizona State got them. So I, I think I'm rambling, but uh, trying to trying to get the point across that I think the Pac-12 is pretty strong. Um, they're starting to retain a lot of that California talent. Now it's leaving California, but it's staying in the footprint. That's another thing I looked at in uh, <laughs> yeah. my uh, my ge- my geography and my recruiting is that yeah. So it used to be 90% stayed home to Cali at the four California Pac-12 schools. Now down to 10%, but who's, who's benefiting? It's Oregon, it's Washington, Arizona State has raided California a bit. So, um, yeah, I think there's talent out there, not enough eyeballs. Um, and if you look at team strength, I think they, they're kind of middle tier as a Power 5 conference. I think you got to put the SEC number one. Um, that's evidenced every day, not only on signing day, but on draft day. I mean, it's you know the recruiting rankings are more right than wrong in aggregate uh, over a five-year cycle. So SEC one. And then from there, I think the Big Ten has a lot of uh, teams at the top. I mean, you have your Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State pack every year, and Wisconsin will win 10 games. Uh, so besides that, though, I think it's a, a free-for-all for third, and that could rotate year to year based on program strength. Um, and looking at 2020 itself, yeah, there are some there's some transition going on in the Pac-12. I mean, if you look at Utah, uh, big roster turnover, at least defensively, and their star quarterback and running back are gone. And then uh, even a a usual staple with Mike Leach's Washington state. I mean, they're good for, you know, eight wins a year, nine wins and uh, the occasional 60 point, you know, 50 point bomb dropped on somebody, but that's gone now. So see some transition, even another power that should be better than they have been the last couple of years is UCLA. So I think once, um, and you do see USC starting to get back to that top 15 area, which is good for the conference, but um, it could be even better. So I think that uh, I put them like third or fourth right now as a, as a conference, but um not getting the national respect they deserve, and I try and do my part. Just taking advantage of your national perspective, the Pac-12 has three major non-conference games uh, to start the season with USC, Alabama, Washington, Michigan, and Oregon, Ohio State. Uh, Can you give us a little preview for each of those three games, and if there's another uh, non-conference under-the-radar Pac-12 game that you think is going to play an important role this season? Yeah, sure. So we'll start with USC, Alabama. you know, you can debate who's a blue blood and who isn't, whatever the term means. I think anyone can agree that these are two of the, you know, the historic programs of our sport. Um, I think it'll be a lot closer than that, uh, that 52 to six blowout a few years back in that opener. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about two programs. They combined for seven national titles in the 2000s and 2010s combined. And, um, you know, it's, it's as historic as you can get. So I think it'll be closer than that, that blowout. Uh, Alabama still the heavy favorite. Um, you know, we'll see how quickly Todd Orlando, or if at all, if he can fix the USC defense. Um, you know, Alabama is a safe bet. They have the, the strongest offensive line in the country. They'll probably just run the ball down USC, USC's front seven. So I'd take Bama there. But um, And then another one, yeah, I'm really excited for uh, for Washington and Michigan. They had a couple of Rose Bowls back in the 90s. I think it was actually 
Washington's most recent national title they faced off in the Rose Bowl. Um, so it'll be great to have that home and home. Uh, you're looking at two really, really strong defenses, but both programs going through quarterback changes and quarterback battles who, that are now, you know, without a spring ball, are undetermined. Uh, three guys at Washington, including, uh, you know, uh, Ethan Garber's coming in after leading a state title in California. Uh, three guys battling for Washington's starting job. Two guys battling for Michigan's starting job, including, uh, you know, another McCaffrey brother. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, that'll be all defense and whoever's offense can click quicker. And then uh, the other one you mentioned was Ohio State-Oregon, where, yeah, this one, uh, I would have loved a full-capacity Austin Stadium because that place can get really loud and uh, bring the home field advantage. I, I don't know what the fan outlook will look like for this year, but uh, nonetheless, two playoff-caliber teams going at it. Uh, probably the more veteran team would be Oregon. Ohio State, if you notice, I mean, they always recruit at the top of the country, which means they're also sending the most to the pros, and they, and they, leave, they leave earlier than most programs, so... At the beginning of these seasons, they're usually younger. Uh, you can catch Ohio State in September, uh, but by the time November and December roll around, they're just a well-oiled machine again. So who knows what you have with Ohio State's youth without a spring. Um, and then, let's see, Oh, another game that could maybe pop off the radar. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Utah-BYU. I know on the national landscape that doesn't really matter to most, but just seeing the energy and the passion that those two have for each other um, you see it every day on Twitter. It's like a 365-day rivalry, those two. Um, trying to think off the top of my head here. It, it'll be nice to see Colorado and A&M matching up two more Big 12, uh, former Big 12 opponents in new leagues. But Probably nice really for Texas stretch. A&M, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I know, right? Yeah, A&M switches out Clemson in the opener to now Colorado. So I think they got a kind of a good present there from the schedulers. But, no, I can't I can't really think of any other ones. Um but hey, you guys make up for it with that nine-game slate, where you know the rest of the season going to be a battle. And you have, at, uh, the, I'm not giving anything away because you've tweeted this out. You have Oregon in the playoff uh, if, with the prediction this season, and and we chatted a little bit about this because I, I I think Oregon likely loses to Ohio State in that first game. I think Justin Fields coming back is just too much of a weapon for the Buckeyes, but it's it's tough to go undefeated across nine games. Do you think Oregon has enough distance? between them and the rest of the Pac-12 that they can afford to, you know, you have an off night and go undefeated in the Pac-12? Yeah, so this was a tough uh, a tough debate I did have. Uh, who would get that fourth spot in the playoff? Um, a lot of magazines will try and squeeze two in from the same conference in the same division. Uh, yes, it did happen one time in the first six years of the playoff, but to me that's kind of just some mental gymnastics. You have to have, you know, a certain team lose on a certain day to a certain team and I'd rather just go, hey, who are the five conference champs and who are the four that are most likely to go undefeated and have one loss? So when I dug into it, it really came down to my Pac-12 champ, Oregon, and my Big 12 champ, Oklahoma. Um, You know, there's tons of other reasons to to knock Oklahoma, but Oregon specifically, I think that defense is just going to be an absolute rock uh, to rely on. Um, Like, I I don't know if I mentioned, but, you know, you think of the old Oregon program, uh, you think of Chip Kelly, you think of the speed, you think of kind of a gadget offense, which, you know, it could put up points, but it could go, it could go dry one night uh, when they're out man in the trenches. It's kind of the opposite. Now, uh, Chris, the has built this from the trenches out. Uh, he's a former offensive line guru himself. So um, despite losing four starters on that offensive line, all four starters rising into those spots were uh, rated higher as recruits coming in. And I know that, you know, recruiting isn't everything, but I, I, I really trust Chris, ball as a developer and uh, I think that, that the offensive line will be fine. I mean, Hey, the one returner is Penny Sewell, the Outland Trophy, the best lineman in the country. So 
Uh, I like that. Um, you know, 10 starters back on defense from a top five unit. One spot, like I said, are going to be going to two five-star kids. So they're just absolutely loaded. You saw the, the talent start to um, separate from the rest of the pack in that Pac-12 title game where coming in, Utah was the pick. Um, but you just saw that that explosiveness from guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, former number one overall player, um, as, as just one example of many who that it, it, it's that top 10 recruiting class from two years ago is now coming of age. And I just think they, they bring a new element to the league. And it's not just hyperbole because this is the first time since before the 2000s uh, that a program has out-recruited USC over a five-year span. The torch has finally passed over to Oregon. I think they have the coaching staff to, to, to maximize that talent. And, um, and yeah, so they're my, they're my pick. Pick six previews. Definitely check out uh, the 2020 preview. It's excellent. And, uh, and, and Brett, we'll, we'll give you a sec to, to let people know where it is. Um, but for people that are listening, stay tuned after Brett hops off the call. We're going to huddle together and talk a little bit about what we um, heard from Brett and um, kind of how it fits into the Pac-12 and just delve a little bit deeper into some of the teams. Um, but, Brett, where can we find the preview? Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? I know you have a podcast. You're kind of all over the place. But if people are new uh, to your work, uh, where should they go? Yeah, thanks so much for the praise and for having me on. I uh, appreciate it. Um, so it's at pick six previews is the Twitter handle. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always tweeting out facts and stats and, and graphics all year. Uh, but this time of year, it's really the, the, the preview book that launched last weekend. Uh, it's all 65 teams plus BYU and, um, you know, two pages per team, 1300 words, 1500 words per team, uh, graphics, the whole bit. You can go to pick six previews.com. I have a couple sample teams up there for you to check out. Uh, I have some testimonials also over there, which are flowing in. I'm, pretty excited i just got one back a few days ago chris fallick of the bear from college game day uh gave some nice praise called it a must read uh so really really excited about how it's taken off nationally and uh yeah we'd love to, to have you guys check it out and check out a sample team and uh and see what you think all right that's pick six previews uh go check it out brett thanks again for your time and i'm sure we'll catch you during the season whenever that is yeah thanks for having me i'll come back anytime uh, excited for the year all right sounds good man thanks again well, all right, everybody, Rob, myself, and Max are going to keep the conversation going. We're going to dive into some of the stats that we saw um, on the Pick 6 preview preview, um, and how they relate to a number of different Pac-12 teams and keep the conversation going. So stay tuned right after these delicious messages. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back, 12-Pack Radio, and continuing our weekly off-season coverage. And, again, we're going to 
continue to go through the Pac-12 defenses. The defensive line rankings are coming up next. That's our next uh, bear to tackle. And uh, we're getting really close to our team previews and bringing on guests and such. I know that the Quack 12 podcast and Hithliday are already starting in, in front of us this time. In front of us this time. Don't think I didn't <laughs> notice that, Adam. I, I noticed that. Um, so we're going we're gonna to get the scraps. We're going to get those, uh, those folks back on and maybe ask them questions from a different prism. So stay tuned for that. But um, Max, we just had Brett on. Uh, I, I, there's a couple things that popped into mind uh, on my end when I was looking through, uh, his breakdowns of some of these teams, but, uh, what stood out for you, uh, you know, that maybe we didn't mention to him while he was on the show. Well, I was really interested by the, uh, win conversion and player development charts. So win co- conversion, he used recruiting rankings, um, versus total wins. So basically you would expect a team that recruits well to have a strong, um, performances year in and year out in the wins department, but there are obviously teams that overachieve and teams that underachieve. And the biggest underachiever out of all the Power Five teams, according to his rankings, is UCLA, which I was like, yeah, that's pretty spot on, actually. Not gonna lie. Um, and then the uh, one Pac-12, or the actually, sorry, the two Pac-12 teams that were in the top 12 in both win conversion and player development. And player development is recruiting rank versus NFL draft picks. So teams that are churning out maybe two or three star recruits into um, um, NFL draft picks. And the two Pac-12 teams that are listed on there in the top 12 were Utah. And Utah is actually number one in player development and number six in win conversion. And Washington. And Washington's seventh in player development and 12th in win conversion, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, the other thing, too, to mention, even though they weren't on win conversion, was Colorado at number four um, in terms of player development. And when you think of that, uh, number four among all Power Five teams, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but, yeah, Utah and Washington definitely at the top, Rob. Does that that make sense to you? Uh, I mean, I, I think it makes sense for Utah and Washington. So in this version of the projection model that I'm running out this season – I do have what I'm calling sort of a coaching and development ranking. Um, it's an attempt to capture which teams are really outperforming or underperforming their fundamentals in the projection model year in, year out. And uh, I, I weight it towards recency so that if you're changing coaches, I'm not penalizing your new coach too much by what your old coach was doing. Um, but when we look at that one, uh, you know, like Washington comes in uh, at number 12 nationally in that, uh, in that ranking. Um, you know, Utah, we've got at, uh, 14, you know, nationally in that ranking. Um, but there are some other teams in the conference that do really well too. I mean, Washington state is at number 16, uh, overall, uh, I would not have had the Buffaloes that high. I've got them at 86. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but UCLA jives. I mean, they're at 117 uh, in in that ranking. I mean, they're almost no one does uh, less with more than UCLA. Perenni- perennially, yes. <laughs> okay, it's not just this this coaching staff. This goes back to Carl Durrell, <laughs> which is crazy town. Um, one of the things that stood out for me too when we were going through that was, um, and it's interesting because Brett has a whole breakdown of what his methodology is. Basically, it's a mixture of like wins uh, and then. Uh, how many players go to the NFL? So Washington State wasn't there in player development, but Washington State was number two, I think, in terms of um, wins above what their expectations were. And that makes sense when you take in, into mind Mike Leach, 
uh, and what he had been able to do with the program. It'll be interesting to see if he continues that trend uh, or Washington State continues the trend um, with their new coach. Max, were there anybody else that, that stood out in your in your mind? I saw Arizona was ranked almost dead last in terms of player development, which makes sense. ASU was kind of high up there um, on the lower end of the, the standings in terms of player development. I saw Texas was one of the ones that were pretty poor, uh, poorly rated in player development. Uh, what, what else kind of jumped well, into US, USC was on there too, which, I mean, makes a lot of sense. Um, but admit it, like with USC – it's a lot of their um, like five star like I can name like several transferred out of the school and I, and I guess that that's that's a ding off of player development just because they don't have them there from start to finish. Um, but yeah, USC was in the bottom twelve in both win conversion and player development, and it makes sense that under like in the post Pete Carroll era with Kiffin and Sark and Clay Helton that there was a lot of underachievement. Yeah, woof. <laughs> it's pretty rough. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that stood out for me was he also has these top units on a national uh, perspective. And, and I'm glad, Max, that you had brought up the ASU quarterback. I would I would uh, kind of disagree with ASU being ranked seventh there. But the thing that stood out for me was he had no Pac-12 team ranked um, in the top 15 on the offensive line and only... Oregon was ranked on the defensive line. And we've had this conversation on this podcast and particularly with Hithliday when we talk about how do you build a program, you build a program from the trenches. And, you know, when we were talking with him about where does the Pac-12 rank among um, the elite programs, one of the things that really makes me worried is that the Pac-12 isn't doing as good of a job building up those offensive and defensive line units. I know that Washington has done a better job recruiting. USC obviously has gotten the recruits, but not the production. And Oregon is kind of really the outlier right now in terms of getting the recruits and the production on both sides of the ball. Um, I don't know, Rob, it's kind of a bummer, man. Uh, But do, do you think that there's maybe a another team that should belong in that top 15 in the trenches on, on either side this year. I, I mean, uh, it well, depends on what we're he has, he has Washington in there too for yeah. 12th defense. Oh, line. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks for bringing, yeah. Mentioning that. I didn't, I didn't see that there. So yeah, Washington. And that was Oregon what I was about to say. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I would take the Washington defensive line um, there, but there's really, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a, a you know, other than, uh, and I think Oregon's going to have some growing pains. I mean, I think you, if you're an Oregon fan, you can really like the guys they've gotten in. You can like the way Mario Cristobal coaches them up. Uh, I think, you know, there's still a little mileage may vary on, you know, four new offensive linemen coming in <laughs> um, there. So I, I, but I don't think when you look across the Pac-12 that you see any, you know, jump off the page at you, you know, top offensive line, units like that on the on the different on the defensive line I, I think you can say washington and oregon but um you know and maybe you'd put usc in the top 25 ish but i mean usc should be a lot higher than that given the way they recruit um yeah there's there's i mean there's there's some there's some there's something like i i sort of just i and i i try to check myself as an arizona fan <laughs> on on this, and I luckily I have a, a a bunch of advanced stats to do it that tell me that Arizona is not going to be great. Um, that said, I mean I I do think that Arizona I would take them above Colorado and UCLA right now. Not by much, but um, I think Gannell is a better quarterback than either Thompson Robinson or uh, starter to be named at Colorado. I totally agree. I, the, 
keeping in the South, the thing that stood out for me was Utah um, being second in the Pac-12. I still would put ASU there. Um, I, I man, I, I don't know, guys. Like, I think I'm the only one on this podcast that's more down on USC or like or further down on USC. Just replacing all that defense, the offensive line itself wasn't that good. They have to replace Zach Moss. They have to replace their quarterback. And yeah, the coaching staff has done a good job, but it took them four years to build up the team that they had this year, which placed second in the Pac-12. I, I just don't see them clawing back to second in, in the Pac-12 South this year uh, without some some turnover luck and without like really going on a roll at the end of the year. Uh, Max, do you, do you think Utah has what it takes to get to that second spot? Well, I, I think second place in the Pac-12 South, it's not that high of a bar to clear. Um, but also, I mean, with Utah, they avoid Oregon. Uh, which is definitely a big advantage. And they also, they, they host USC. Um, and I just, I, I, at least I trust Kyle Whittingham and the coaching staff to develop the talent. I think they have enough offensive weapons um, between who, I, I like their quarterback room. I think that their pass catchers are good. Uh, and I still think that they'll have enough talent on defense not like elite high end like last year but still i, I think good enough uh compared to other pac-12 teams that they can finish in second place wait what do you think rob you think they they because i think it's a two-way race for second between asu and utah i definitely agreed with brett that there's there's a clear number one tier and it's usc oregon he put washington in there i wouldn't quite do that yet i, I need to see that on the field um, but I think the drop off between USC and everybody else in the South is significant, but I just think AC is a better team and, and they do have a, a more difficult schedule, but, um, I just trust that. I don't know. I trust the talent on that team right now. And I really need to see it from Utah with all that returning production gone, basically. I mean, I would put the Utes ahead if, if Morgan Scott is still the defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, it's not by a lot. Uh, you know, I, the, the projection model right now is Utah at 38. Um, it has AACU at 57. I mean, I, I, I believe that's about three points, you know, three and a half points that, uh, for the Utes there. Um, I also like, and I got to look at, uh, let me pull it up real quick on um, the expected conference wins. I mean, Utah comes in at 5.72 expected conference wins. Arizona state's a full expected win lower at 4.74 in the conference. I mean, so some of that is schedule, um, with what they have, uh, you know, and, and Utah benefited last season from missing both Stanford. And I mean, I'll, maybe you don't benefit from missing Stanford last season, but, uh, they did miss them and <laughs> they, they missed, uh, Oregon. Um, I, I like, uh, I, I, I mean, I have some questions. I mean, if Jake Bentley, and the other part you have to think through too is like if Jake Bentley, I mean, and there's also Cameron Rising and Drew Lisk in, in that competition for QB. If Bentley can play like he did two years ago at South Carolina, I think Utah uh, can have a, a, a sneaky better than expected offense. Um, if he plays like the Jake Bentley we saw last year before he got injured and, and didn't play again and they played Helensky at South Carolina, uh, it could be an interesting year and I would expect to see rising play um, or maybe even drew Lisk. but there's, there, uh, I mean, with Utah, what they have coming back on offense, I mean, it is tough because most of what they have coming back on offense is on the line and that line was bad. I, I don't know, but I, I like Utah's 
I like Utah's coaching staff more. I am more down on Jaden Daniels, um, probably more in line with where Pro Football Focus has him uh, than other folks are. And I am also more down on Daniels without Ayuk uh, and, you know, Benjamin <laughs> there, as well as, I mean, and, and I, I think, I don't want to emphasize that I think Boise, is, Boise does run the ball more than you might have seen um you know, ASU run the ball last year, but, uh, you know, Boise still, a, a, you know, an 11 personnel spread. It's just a more complicated offense than Daniels has been running by a long shot. Um, and a lot of Daniels throws were right around the line of scrimmage last season. I mean, the, the, some of that high efficiency and completion rate is it's hard to throw interceptions when you're throwing bubble screens. And then relying on Brandon Ayuk after the catch. Yeah, I mean, like Brandon Ayuk with guards after the catch. I mean, is it was a lot of their offense last season. So I, 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 I he's going to have to take a big step forward, I think, for me to see ASU at them. Yeah, yeah, like you talk about Utah. I do think I agree with you on in terms of the tools at the skill position. Obviously, Brant Cuthy at the tight end spot. I I loved Brian Thompson, and I know if you take a look at his numbers, they don't pop out. Um, but I think he was a freshman. And that guy had speed. And when you think of like, and I've been harping on Utah's wide receivers for like four years because they just have, they've recruited okay there and the production has been okay there. But there hasn't really been um, outside of uh, Darren, uh, I think it was Covington, the the guy that transferred over from Oregon. Outside of that, it's really been kind of um, a bare bones unit. I like Brian Thompson a lot. I think I think he's the guy that they're going to go to next year. He kind of reminds me. I remember Ayuk. Um, now, now totally different skill set, but just in terms of seeing somebody kind of start to put it together the previous year and go like that guy's going to be legit. I had that same feeling for him. It'll be interesting to see if he really steps up. But um, uh, between him and some of the the running backs there, I thought were interesting. I mean, nobody's going to be Zach Moss <laughs> for Utah for a while, you know, uh, but I thought they had a couple people there that at least um, could be productive. But I don't know, guys, uh, uh, Max, what else what else jumped out for you while you were taking a look at the preview? Well, I mean, I- Rob brought it up, but and well, we've already talked about, it, but yeah, Colorado fourth in the Pac-12 South. Oh man, I if if I, I think I've said it before, but if Colorado finishes in fourth place, I will eat a buffalo on the podcast. <laughs> you know, it's it interesting. Uh, I was listening to Quack 12 podcast, and they had a uh, a Colorado person on there. They did a deep dive into the team. Um, it's interesting. Uh, and and we saw this here with Brett, where and the the guest on the podcast for Colorado kind of had the same thing, where they they both kind of just said, "Well, um, Chivarini is coming back as coordinator, but that's I don't I just that's not a plus. I think that's a that's a drawback for that team." Um, with that said, and, and, and Summers back as defensive coordinator is also a negative. Yeah, I guess yeah. the the injuries on the on the defense, like it was interesting because they really liked the defensive line with Mustafa Johnson, and he had he had a couple other guys on there. In fact, the center or the the defensive tackle um, actually came came on pretty strong at the end. He had some injuries at the beginning of the year. Um, Nate Landman returns, but I think the secondary, like you're going <laughs> to, how many yards is you know a Slovis going to just drop on that Colorado secondary? I think it's going to be a major weakness for them. Um, yeah, well, I yeah. just I just think that Colorado and and we've definitely touched on this in the past, but Colorado's defense was extremely fortunate with turnovers last season. I mean, they had that SMU transfer Oni who was a ball magnet, yeah. uh, and I I just if if they regress in that department, I mean, I just saw Colorado's defense get shredded so many times. I 
like uh, even like not like Air Force. Um, I don't, yeah, just, and then all the pack. Well, actually, the one game where they kind of kept it close uh, when they were t- tailing off down the stretch was the USC game, and USC actually needed. Uh, they needed a, like a couple like mir- I don't want to say miracles. That's too strong of a word. But they really needed to pull that game out. <laughs> they needed like a, a rabbit out of their hat to win that game in Boulder on Friday night. The one, I guess, the bright, not the bright spot, the glass half full for Colorado would be. Uh, it seems like they are going to do more of a ground and pound, and their run blocking was better than their pass blocking. So you know, yeah, they're going to have a new quarterback, which is going to be a total mess. But if they can, if they can at least get the ball to their two backs, whom I think are like I, I really I liked Magnum, uh, Magnum and um, uh, Fontenot. Fontenot. Yeah, thank you. Um, I thought they were decent. Um, they're not going to be ginormous stars, but they were. I could see them trying to carry that offense and then having those two tight ends um, there, and a couple of them can actually catch some passes. I know, and they have like a blue shirt kid coming in and stuff. I don't know. Like it's interesting, right? Because every every person that covers their team is going to give you the brightest picture of it um but after that i i wasn't i was still down on colorado i still think they're going to be the worst in the conference but um they went from like 90th to 85th for me rob <laughs> which they st- i don't know i just don't see I mean, they have a, so like if you go and look at colorado's advanced i mean i don't know my advanced metrics on colorado they don't have to be the advanced metrics on colorado <laughs> um their effective pass last season, they were 112 in beta rank and effective pass. I mean, you, like, and you highlight like, oh, you know, they had some good stuff up the middle, you know, the defensive tackle, some of the linebackers. Um, they lose their, uh, I believe he was a third round pick, the guy that was just everywhere for them. Oh, um, Davian Taylor. You know, that guy was a yeah, freaking mo- like wheels a freak. Running, yeah, he was like a heat-seeking <laughs> missile, you know, chasing down run plays. Um, they are just awful awful defending the past and I, I'm not sure they're going to fix that um, you know right off the bat coming into next season uh, you know even with some of it being you know that they uh, that you know th- those guys needed some seasoning um, and some of that too is that they're they're not getting enough of a pass rush I mean like those guys are, are decent in run defense but that front seven wasn't great in getting pressure on the quarterback um, and what they were good at last season was containing big plays um, but they just get, I mean, that like at 55 and containing explosive drives, I mean, 102 and drive efficiency, they gave up long drive after long drive after long drive. I mean, and that just hurts. Um, and then I, I mean, I'm a little less sanguine on their ability to run the football because they were actually better throwing the football last season. They were number 50 in effective pass, 80 in effective rush. I mean, I agree. If you're not, if you don't have LaVisca Chenault and Steven Montez back there, uh, you better damn well run that ball. <laughs> you might as well run the ball. I mean, what else are you going to do? But, I mean, Chivarini, uh, I don't, I do not understand anyone saying, like, oh, there's continent. I mean, he was terrible. He was terrible. Was, uh, he got, he did not keep his, he, he did not keep his job uh, when Mel Tucker, when Mel Tucker took over um, and kept Chivarini on. Part of it was for continuity, but part of it was also for, uh, his recruiting prowess because um, he has been good at identifying talent for that wide receiver room. But I mean, he's, if you want to look, you know, point fingers at one of the reasons Mike McIntyre got fired, they never got the offense going with McIntyre and Chivarini, you know, was a part of that either as, you know, play caller or co-offensive coordinator. And his one year's play caller was, was bad. Uh, I just, I don't see it at all. I don't. And 
I didn't, I didn't like what they had coming back without the coaching change. Um, I didn't think Jay Johnson did a great job. I was a little surprised Mel Tucker didn't have more of a positive impact on that defense. Um, I think a lot of it too is though is like when you looked at Colorado, they had some wins in recruiting, and I I do feel like that 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 can kind that kind of momentum sometimes carries through, and people start to and and some of it was not just in freshmen, some of it was in transfers. Um, you know, they had that five star former Alabama transfer who now is no longer on the roster. Uh, so there's, I, I feel like sometimes you, you know, you can kind of kind of talk yourself into some more of the off the field stuff, having a bigger impact. And I think it really is going to this next season. I think they're really, really going to struggle offensively, uh, this season. I, I, I think Chiaverini is going to have a hard time getting them going. I think they could probably, I mean, unless somebody really steps forward, they might play two or three quarterbacks this season. Oh yeah. Good times there. Just like Cal on a couple, a couple of years ago. Um, Rob, did, did anything else stand out for you going through the preview anything, or anything that you wanted to ask that we didn't get to? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, when we talk about like the PAC 12, like, I mean, I think he's on, you know, we're on, he's, he's largely in line, you know, like with a lot of our thoughts on it, you know, like he did not have uh, Cal at 11 and one. Um, <laughs> you know, and it was it was nice that Brett, like that he wasn't one of the people. Well, I shouldn't say it's nice because I mean people are always entitled to their opinion. But I thought it was interesting that he didn't buy the hype on the Cal and Arizona State uh, hype trains. And I, and I think that comes with delving in. I mean, like when you take a look at the previous two pages of on each team and then all the graphs and stuff. And I think once you kind of get into and and scheme, like scheme and coaching matters with Cal. Uh, and, and same thing with Colorado. That was the thing that worries me too. The offensive line that was actually okay last year um, uh, on, on some fronts, their coach is gone. And now they have a new offensive line coach. Uh, Steve Greatwood at Cal is gone. And Cal has a new offensive line coach that can't coach offensive line. He can recruit offensive line, but he can't coach him. Um, and, I, and I think he knows that kind of stuff, which is, I mean, it's just so important. I think it's one of the things that gets lost with uh, people that, that focus on national college football. They just don't, they're not able to delve into uh, really the people that develop the talent you can recruit, but at some point you also need to coach them up. Yeah, you're right. I, I think he was on, along the same wavelength on our end though. Any, any disagreements that you had, Rob, that outside of Colorado? Uh, I mean, beyond that, I, I think, I think actually Arizona is the, sleeper of the bat of the three and i agree three very bad teams in the south i think arizona is actually the sleeper with the coordinator change um because i think adazio at um uh azanaro not adazio uh azanaro ucla is still a bit of a drag on that program um i i was pleased to see that he had oregon state i mean like and this sound like i'm sorry oregon state fans but like oregon state last i think that's more in line with where we are um, you know, a lot of, and I've seen a lot of projections, um, that have Oregon state making a bowl this season. <laughs> I think Lindy's came out and had Oregon state at six and six. Um, and I, I think that's going to be hard for the Beavers to do given everything they lost on the offensive side of the ball. And I think, uh, I, I think where they are with, uh, you know, coach Smith, you know, in his, in his, you know, tenure, he is still putting that rot like putting that roster together and i think maybe next year could be a really interesting year for them where maybe they could make a big jump yeah and that'd be great i mean i mean it'd be great for the conference and also like again if, if usc the one team we really didn't mention a ton on 
uh, talking with Brett was USC. USC could be really good this year. And and I think, and Rob, you brought up something on Twitter. You were talking about how we might have Oklahoma fatigue, right? Because <laughs> like Oklahoma, we do. Yeah. <laughs> like Oklahoma brings back a stacked team. Alex Grinch is the defensive coordinator. Lincoln Riley is a, just a magician. Um, not on the same level. But we might, I mean, there is a lot of USC fatigue, right? I mean, anytime you hear somebody say, oh, USC is going to finish first in the conference or first in the Pac-12 South, I always roll my eyes and like, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But my goodness, like that team is stacked. And I think the coordinator changes, which we've talked about in this in this uh, podcast, really make a difference. And it'll be really fun to see if they're able to live up to expectations because a good at USC is good for the conference. Um, anything else, guys? We're, we're bumping up onto an hour. Um and next week we're going to go, we're going to keep going into our defensive uh, position preview. So we'll do the de- defensive line. I've been uh, doing a lot of research on every team and it's, it's pretty fascinating to see who comes back. I think sometimes we, we focus on one individual player, um, you know, like Kayvon Thibodeau, but like it's the unit itself that is really important. And sometimes it's the big fat guys in the center that are the most important that we don't see the stats. So um, that's, that's going to be really fun to talk about. But if you uh, have anyone that can play two gap, that's the most important guy in your defensive line. Cause everybody else, else's life is easier <laughs> yeah the best was like starlo to lele for utah who had like yeah. 14 tackles on the year and one you know was a, a first team all-american that's <laughs> a perfect example of like somebody that's just so so dominant and sometimes it didn't show up in the stats um anything that that's happened in the conference i've been away in seattle which was a ghost town uh, there's just nobody out right now um so i've kind of missed some of the news in the last couple of days anything that we should talk about not that i can think of it's been really quiet. I mean, other than the there was that leak, there's the kerfuffle of the leaked UCLA letter to the LA Times. Oh um, yeah, and I, like I think it ended up being more of a tempest in a teapot than like a full on like the, the players don't believe in Chip Kelly story. Um, but I think the players, I think the players sort of didn't. I think it would be overstating it to say it's all on Chip Kelly. I think the players didn't have a great sense of faith that the administration was doing enough <laughs> uh, to ensure their safety um, uh, in regards to COVID. Um, and that was interesting. And it was, I, I think it's, I think it's healthy and good that players should be p- pushing back on that because uh, you absolutely, it is a two way conversation uh, between uh, and, you know, employer and employee on, uh, uh, on your safety on this. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just went and stayed in a hotel and I was like looking around going, I don't trust this at all. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just <laughs> staying by myself in a Hilton, like Hampton Inn. Um, whereas these guys are going to be next to each other, you know, breathing in each other's face. And, and, you know, th- they are starting to release the COVID counts. I know there was a couple instances in Colorado and, um, you know, I mean, we'll just kind of keep an eye on that. But, you know, I also thought it was good that DTR came out and, and clarified that this wasn't a hundred percent directed at chip Kelly, because I think the LA times kind of um, had really highlighted that quote as being um, that, that being like the foundation of the story and uh, DTR and a couple other players came out and, and said that wasn't necessarily the case, but still um, they didn't feel comfortable yet. And, and i I totally agree with you. I, I, I just think it's crazy that these players are coming back now. Um, and, and we're, we're just going to kind of wing it y'all. Like it's kind of how it looks, you know, we're, um, Mm, we'll we'll see. I mean, again, it, hopefully there's a season and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, any any anything anything to say on that, Max? Uh, no, I, I think what Rob said that you know the players are right, and I think that um, at players in all programs should be uh, taking extra precautions. 
my goodness be it'll be we'll, we'll keep a track on that um i still think i mean like we're still coming from the same point that there's going to be a season so it, it might be later it might be now um but uh, we're going to keep going through all of the units um send us your questions next week you know we'll, we'll probably do 40 minutes on the defensive line so i'll send out the bat signal uh on twitter which you can follow at 12 pack radio one two pac radio and then you can also email us questions um 12 pack radio at gmail.com or you can email sharpcollegefootball.com uh, rob continues to go through um all we were talking about covering stuff nationally holy moses rob you've gone through like 36 videos where are you at right now <laughs> I just finished number 30. Uh, speaking of 36 Northwestern, um, who you should keep an eye on because they finally have a new offensive coordinator and they have Peyton Ramsey, the uh, Indiana transfer and a QB and they Northwestern is number one in returning production Oh snap! Uh, for next year. And they were horrendous on offense last season. So new OC plus Peyton Ramsey, plus a lot of returning production and they normally have a good defense Northwestern could be sneaky, but, uh, as you mentioned, I have like, check it out. We have a YouTube channel for sharp college football. Uh, we have a bunch of previews on there. Some of whom, uh, some of whom I was just looking back. I was like, Holy smokes, that, that video unbeknownst to me has garnered a ton of like that Boise, our Boise state preview video, a ton of video, uh, a ton of views. So, um, check it out. And we're, it's every day where I, I figured out the, the magic of, of putting them out and, um, yeah. <laughs> Yep. And then I'll have a couple stuff, a couple questions for Rob. So basically what's going on, Rob is talking advanced metrics and uh, he's going through each team. He did, you did Utah and Cal this week. So I'll respond yep. with a couple questions to you. Um, it's just kind of a nice like break in between the podcast to, to delve a little bit more into, because I know you talked a ton on scheme for Cal and rightly so. I want, so I'll, I'll ask you some questions on the, the players and the personnel that return. Cause some of them are pretty interesting there um, that I, I think can add some value or not, <laughs> especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so we'll, we'll We'll get into that discussion there too. Uh, Max, anything on your end? Oh, actually, actually before that, Max, quick question for you. Any sneaky teams outside of the Pac-12 that, that are on your radar? You know, Rob just mentioned Northwestern. Um, well, I should – I'm really, really high. And even though they – well, uh, it's tough because of the controversy that the, that the program went through the, the past week. But I'm really high on Oklahoma State this year. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, like I, I think that they're winning the Big 12, like, that good. Ooh. Oh, man. Beta rank, the projection model, has them at 14. And, uh, right and behind Texas at 13, and Oklahoma's only up at 5. Um, and that's definitely in the range of Oklahoma State really outperforms the projection, I think, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and their special teams, teams improve. Uh, I can absolutely see them winning the Big 12. And I can like, one week one bet that I will absolutely be on I'm still seeing Oklahoma state as only a 17 point favorite at home against Oregon state. And I think that that line should oh. be at least three touchdowns. Oh, I might jump on that now. Um, I, I didn't, I forgot that it was so low and it still hasn't really moved. Oh, now, now I'm going to look at that. What is, uh, Tristan Jebby is going to Stillwater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, speaking of like, normally you talk about the bag men as, um, you know, bringing in the recruits, the Oklahoma State bagman this season. I mean, if there was a guy, particularly on offense, that could have gone to the NFL, they are staying in Stillwater. Um, you know, Chuba, um, you know, some of their other guys that may have gone. Oh, Tylen Wallace is like, I don't hear like anyone talking about Tylen Wallace. He might be the best receiver in the country. Oh, snap. Yeah, Bader, Baderink's got that right now. 
in Stillwater at 24.17 for Oklahoma State. The the one thing the one sneaky thing about Oregon State and then we'll sign off here. Um, like curious what you guys think though. So because we were we were doing I'm doing my research on the defensive lines, and theirs isn't half bad. Um, like and, and it's not just Hamilcar Rashid. They have a couple other guys on that line that at least can get them a little bit of pressure. And I don't know if that really matters against Oklahoma State's off- offensive line and just with Chuba Hubbard and, and just everything that they have on that offensive side. But um, in the Pac-12, like I, I, I was more impressed than I thought I was going to be with that. That that even that front seven, not terrible. Um, it kind of reminds me of, of Colorado, though, because you're probably going to be able to throw all over them. But um, I don't know, like how how down is Beta Rank on on? Oregon State, Rob, on the defense. I, I think I think they they made a jump last year, right? They did. They made a big jump uh, last year on defense uh, versus where they were in the prior. Um, I think one of the things that they do have, I think they do have returning production on that side of the ball. They're number fourteen in returning production on defense, um, but they they their big jump was up to seventy seven on defense. Yeah. So, I mean that that's still a very bad power five, very, very bad power five defense. I mean, that's a huge improvement over where they were. I mean, with them that like Oregon state was great at special teams last season, they were number five. Um, that's hard to do again. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I'd have to go back and look and see if they're, their kicker and punter are returning. Um, and then who's their punt returner last season? Is he back? Um, but I, I was it Fleming's champ. Was it Fleming's. champ Fleming? Yeah. But that, like those kind of like those kind of little things could like they're they might need because that, that offense was at 31. If they fall back off of that, like they're they could be in some trouble. And if that defense is faced with short field, um, I, I expect them to give up a lot of points still. <laughs> well, right now, well, well, let's end it there. We, we hit about an hour. Um, stay tuned. Next week, we'll do the defensive lines. We're going to go through every team's secondary, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, a lot of stuff to cover. And then again, as the season progresses or the off season progresses, we'll go into the teams and bring on more guests and really delve deep into each team's uh, unit by unit. So um, a, a big thanks for Brett. Check out uh, the pick six preview preview and, uh, and we'll catch everybody next week.